Hey, my name is Hendel Leva, and I am the host of the online show Immigration MIC, Moving Immigration Conversations. Every week, I put on my Beats headphones and create original interviews for everyone to enjoy. It's a great opportunity for young people directly or indirectly affected by today's immigration policies to have their voice heard in the conversation. Visit www.thehendelmediaproject.com to watch all the interviews and learn how you can get involved. What's up, everyone? This is Hendel Leva, uh, host of the online show Immigration MIC. We move immigration conversations, and today I am so pleased and honored to have Mbala on my show. Um, I'm so pleased to connect with her after getting after connecting for a couple of months over Twitter. Um, so her single "Illegal," um, you know, was just this like amazing track that I found, and from from there I discovered that you know there was this amazing powerful woman with a story behind that and wanted to have her on the show and um, for everybody to have a chance to get to know her so how are you doing today hi i'm doing really really well it's been a busy day but i'm super excited to just be able to wind down with you know some good conversation <laughs> yes and, and this is a space to just wind down um so first of all i want to ask you this really important question how are you born already with this like legendary name mbala <laughs> that's so funny um I had a legendary father to begin with. Um, So he, uh, um, I'm originally from Central Africa, a country named Cameroon. Mm -hmm. And um, he always used to say that before Cameroon was colonized by the French, we didn't have these names, you know, like Mary, John, Paul, Peter. You know, we, all we had was our African names. Um, And that the, the, the colonizers are people who, you know, who brought the other names that are traditionally quote unquote Christian names. so he kind of wanted to subconsciously decolonize us, you know, by get, giving us um, traditionally African first names mm-hmm. uh, as well as last names. So a lot of times in Cameroon, people are like, uh, are you sure Mbala is not your last name? Because it's, it's supposed to be a last right. name in theory. My dad is actually, kind of is like, no, actually, the reality is these are all our, our, the names that we had before we were colonized. Um, mm. So I guess I'm kind of an outsider in that sense. Right. Um, no, but, but yeah. it ended up working out perfectly because, you know, this, this I just feel like it's something that is already destined to be like hip hop greatness, you know? <laughs> hey, I hope so. I mean, he, um, he, he named me after his, the last name of his aunt who raised him. He had his two women raised him, his mom and his aunt. Mm-hmm. And so my sister got his mom's last name and I got, um, his aunt's last name and, um, people seem to, you know, I guess like them, and it's funny because growing up, we were, you know, we didn't understand how important it was. So we were kind of like, ah, so we've all adopted these like little tiny nicknames. Um, right. And then once I just started to come into my own and, you know, realize the importance of embracing who I am, um, I just started kind of to own it, you know. And it's amazing because it's now my name as I'm, you know, chasing my dream and, and doing the things that I want to do. And people know me as that now, and it's so it's funny. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, so when I was uh, researching you, I did find like some of your biography and I think that some of it is intertwined within like, or at least your parents' story is intertwined with, uh, I guess, some political stuff that in uh, Cameroon. Um, yeah. Yeah. would love to just ask you to introduce that aspect of your life to the audience um, and how it has played into, I guess, the person you are today. Sure. Um So my father was ambassador of Cameroon to the U.S. for 15 years. Um, Prior to that, he was ambassador in a couple other countries, Senegal, um, 
um, I think the one before that was actually Senegal. And then prior to that, he had a diplomatic track in uh, Russia, um, Ethiopia, um, Democratic Republic of Congo. And um, anyway, so upon retire, he had a 40-year career. And upon retiring, he um, he went home uh, to Cameroon because, you know, that was his country and he wanted to be proud of it. And, you know, he hadn't lived there for so long because he had done, done all this foreign service. And he went home and they, um, after six months of him retiring, actually, and I was in the States, um, he was arrested. Um, and for two years, there were no charges at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of the two years, towards the end, you know, towards the, the, the two year mark, they decided that they were going to charge him. So they ended up kind of making up this kind of bogus story. Really, we realized that within the two years, they were trying to figure out what they were going to charge him with. Mm-hmm. Um, so they tried to give him this kind of like embezzlement charge that kind of didn't make any sense. And um, he, you know, um, basically had to like await trial. And honestly, it was like a, a movie, you know, it was right. like, um, you know, his all of his exonerating documents would disappear. Judges were like taking things out of the you know the files. It was mm. out of control. Um, and you know later on the lo- down the line we came to find out that really the fear, the real, the, the genuine fear was because it was that he'd lived in the U.S. for so long. Um, they were afraid that he had built um, all of these relationships and connections with the U.S. government, and they were afraid that he was going to be the U.S.'s pick for um, president. Basically, so they thought that it was going to be some sort of a, you know, like a political like coup or something right, like that, yeah. like overthrow the government. When really he was just going home to retire. I mean, he was in his seventies, so within his seventies, they, um, you know, they told him they they lied. The way they arrested him too was super shady. They were just like, hey, just come down to the station, mm-hmm. you know, just a witness in this little case that they had going on. Um, it was the embezzlement case was built around this like fake plane situation mm-hmm. and um, he was like oh I'm a witness and he just did and they're like yeah don't even worry don't bring your lawyer and he went down there and um, they're like oh look at that it looks like I have a warrant for your arrest um, just randomly like hey look at that yeah, look at that. you know and this is like four year, four days before my 18th birthday mm-hmm. um, and it's so sad because for um, you know we didn't I didn't I think because I was young, I didn't take it seriously for a very long time mm-hmm. because I just, I knew he was innocent. He Because, I mean, they were talking about embezzlement and I was like, where are all my cars and my <laughs> amazing clothes and, right. you know, right. where are all these things? Um, so it was kind of interesting and I, I, I just, I really didn't take it seriously. And, you know, the older I got and the more time I was in college, I, I went my entire um, college career with him being incarcerated in Cameroon. When he passed, I he passed in November 2016, and I um, mm. had not seen him in six years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, that that sounds like it could be a movie in itself. Um, just the way that you're describing it in such detail. Oh goodness, it's it's detailed, and I'm leaving so much out of it. Right. No, mostly because it's like, you know, I've had to say it a few times, and then also the important part and he always thought it almost felt like he's always known that that was going to be um that that was going to be the outcome mm-hmm. that he was never going to get to exonerate himself mm-hmm. if like he always knew because he um was always sending us dockets you know his files and his you know everything mm-hmm. 
And he would say to us, you know, if I don't get to tell the truth, I'm leaving it to you to make sure the truth gets out. So there's a part of of the song Illegal actually where I'm I'm, I'm talking to him, you know, Mm. Um, and just um, because the song ultimately, yes, it's about me and my story about, you know, being undocumented for lots of reasons, but on his dying bed in the hospital, he was typing out an email to my lawyer for my immigration status. Mm. And it's funny because this was one of the first lawyers I had and he had actually denied my case mm-hmm. because it was largely tied to my dad's situation right and he denied my case and um at first i didn't understand why but i had stopped reading the correspondences between him and my father and when i read the correspondences i realized that my dad was not making sense in his answers mm-hmm. so later i realized and so that's why the the lawyer turned it down and he the lawyer didn't know and i didn't know at the time that it was because mm-hmm. he was typing on his deathbed wow that's heavy <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Um, Want to ask you about? Uh, have you always grown up in North Carolina? No, I grew up in Washington D.C. Uh, so that's where my father was ambassador, mm-hmm. uh, and I came to North Carolina for college. Okay. And after college, uh, when I, once I graduated, I was I was in the music scene, but I wasn't making music. I was managing mm-hmm. a duo that was um, that was rapping, and mm-hmm. uh, after maybe like two years there was just like a couple different sources of frustration just as management you realize that you're kind of like people's parent mm-hmm. you know and um you're you're babysitting a lot of the times and you're trying to make people do something that they they know that they should do but they just kind of don't do it <laughs> um, right. so over it just kind of got frustrating and I knew that I really wanted to just chase my own dream mm. and I just was like you know what once my dad passed I was just like that was my greatest fear, you know, mm. losing my father. So once it happened, I was like, there's nothing to be afraid of. And um, and there were kind of two waves of that that got me to this point. It was me surviving cancer at 13. Mm. And my dad passing, um, you know, what we learned later on were probably not natural causes. Mm-hmm. So it was all of those things. I just realized how quickly life can be taken away from you. And I felt like, you know, now was the time. And I was just kind of, you know, this time, this millennial working this really serious job and, mm-hmm. you know, um, straight out of college and I was director of marketing and I had all the things that I had worked for, you know, I felt like I was Gabrielle Union in all those movies, right, you know, right, yeah. um, it just wasn't enough because I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> so t- tell me a, a little bit about uh, growing up in Washington, D.C., um, what that experience was like and, um, you know, did you have a, a an awareness that of your immigration status growing up? Well, growing up, I didn't have the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't because I was there as my as my my on my dad's um, right, right. visa. So I didn't really have the issue, and I didn't understand the issue. Mm-hmm. And um, and DC was, you know, it was fine. It was kind of like I, I was walking around. I had diplomatic immunity. I was doing everything I wanted to do. Right. You know, there was a lot of privilege there. Mm-hmm. So these are things I didn't have to think about ever. And my dad was very clear, you know, being an ambassador, he understands immigration very well. And he would always tell us, you know, this isn't your country and they're going to make sure that you know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it never resonated with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were things that I just didn't have to think about. Um, so later on, my brother was undocumented and I would just watch him go through it. And I was kind of like, oh, that sucks. Right. <laughs> you know? but I still didn't fully grasp it. And so for me, it was 
eight to nine years of being in and out of status because I would be applying for different things mm -hmm. and you know, um, just kind of waiting my whole life. So that's when I started to understand it. Even while I was in college, I didn't fully get it because I happened to be admitted to college when I was in status mm -hmm. and felt college when I was already enrolled. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have to, you know, that there were things I was able to avoid. I didn't, I had documentation in order to apply. Right. And then when it fell out, I was already part of the system. So it wasn't really an issue at the time mm -hmm. anymore. Um, but then when I went into the workforce and then I fell out of status again, mm -hmm. and I, you know, applied for something different and I had temporary status and I got a job and then, um, fell out of status while I was working. And so it was kind of, you know, easy to kind of keep under wraps for a little bit. And then um, it just kind of fell apart once my, my dad passed. Mm -hmm. Fortunate enough to have an employer who kind of like, um, you know, was able to find some ways to kind of help me for a little bit, but it just started to be kind of frustrating and difficult for them because they, right. you know, started to learn more about, you know, the law and stuff like that. So they didn't want to, um, you know, take too many risks either. And at the same time, I'm going through the same thing that everybody else is going through, where they're going to a job that they don't like, that they don't want to be at, that they want to change, totally. mm -hmm. you know? And so that's when I started to really understand what it was to be undocumented, that feeling of being stuck and not knowing mm. options. You know, I want to change my job. I want a better future for myself. I want all these things and I can't, I, I you know, I, I can't, I feel like I cannot accomplish them. And if I do, it's like, I have to operate with fear. Right. And so like it was like this yo-yo for you where like it's like in and out of status, like constantly applying for different things. Mm -hmm. um, was was there a point where and you said, you know, there was a point where you felt stuck. Um, you know, is that point where like you couldn't apply for anything else or like, you know, it was just kind of like a permanent like there's nothing else to apply for? Well, when I felt stuck, it was just like when I was maybe talking to the wrong lawyers, you know, or um, stuck because my situation was a lot different than most situations because it was tied to my father's political career mm -hmm. um, and a lot of lawyers not understanding that, getting a lot of denials, getting a, having to appeal a lot of times. Um, and then, you know, the moment where you fall out of status after you're, you, you know, you've been, oh, you've overstayed for too long, things like that, and having to recuperate from that, and, um, you know, the legal fees associated with having to do that, and, you know, just things that are just, just don't make sense. How do I have legal fees when I can't even afford to work to pay the legal fees? Like, you know, right. things like that. Um, or I'm not supposed to be working in order to pay the legal fees. Um, you know, it's just, those are the things that started to make me feel stuck. And then also um, being denied the DREAM Act, mm. too. Um, I was actually denied the Dream Act, and you know, lawyers. Some lawyers that I spoke to were just like, "Oh, I, you know, that's probably some sort of, you know, some rogue officer," because you know, the Dream Act is is discretionary. Um, so, so are you they, referring to the uh, Dream Act legislation or the Deferred Action DACA? Deferred Action. Deferred Action DACA. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was just kind of like, kind of. Um, trying to figure out what to do after that, you know? So fortunately, it's it's so funny because the second day of shooting the illegal video, I finally got approved for my residency. Oh, really? So for your, mm -hmm. your residency? My residency. Oh. And it was actually shooting um, the illegal video. Wow, congratulations. So on that note, let's, I want to back up a little bit and I want to switch gears. Um, 
where did your uh, inspiration for hip hop begin or where where did kind of your love for hip hop begin um it's so funny because well okay i can answer that it, i i have three older brothers who all have completely different tastes in music well in hip hop um and you know some of them are significantly older than me in that when i was in the car with them in dc I didn't get to choose what I was listening to ever. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, <laughs> there was a lot of bad boy records. There was a lot of big pun. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all of it. There was a lot of Wu Tang. There was a, a whole lot of that. So that's what I was listening to. But my, what I liked a lot more than anything was the women on the deep album cuts that sometimes right. weren't necessarily part of the singles or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I really liked that vibe. Um, but people will ask me like, okay, well, are you are you a rapper or are you a singer? And the mm -hmm. truth is, I really don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just do what like the music calls for, and um, sometimes it ends up me being, I guess, I guess being me rapping, I guess. Right. <laughs> sometimes singing, and um, the original version of Illegal that I had written actually um, was all singing. Um, so, who would you say that you looked up to in hip hop? Uh, growing up, I, I mean, I know you said that you had deep appreciation for the women on the deep cuts. Um, was there any particular uh, female that you really looked up to? I would say I'm major Destiny's Child fan mm -hmm. and a major um, Eve fan. Eve, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, cool. Um, so you said you got into managing folks first, and then mm -hmm. you got it. Uh, can you describe like what that decision was and um, what that entailed? Um, the decision to stop managing or the decision to start? To start. To start managing. Um, I think that I had a, a major fear of failure. I, I, I've always had one up until maybe like two years ago, mm -hmm. if that, maybe a year ago. Um, I had a very serious fear of, fear of failure and I've always known the one thing I knew for sure for my entire life, I wanted to work in the music industry point blank period. Mm -hmm. um, that's where I want to, how I want to live my life, where I want to, you know, the things I'm interested in. Like I was obsessed with award shows and I was obsessed with PR and right. development and all that stuff that was so major to me. And I use a lot of those things even for myself. Um, so before I was, before I decided to just jump off the deep end and sing and write songs how I wanted to, mm -hmm. I was kind of looking for ways to cut corners and in my mind, you know, my master plan, I was going to be like the female Diddy. Right. So I was going to like, you know, manage artists, start record, record label, blah, blah, blah. And everything was going to pop. And then I was going to do my career. Right. Um, but then I just started getting frustrated with people. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this. Right. And, um, you know, I mean, I was going to say like, you know, what's so interesting is that I have a similar kind of like uh, mindset where like I kind of see this like this specific program in that way where like I'm able to like interview people and like pick out their talents and like hopefully in the future like try to manage events together but mm -hmm. yeah I see it in the same like bad boy Rockefeller like yeah, that's Dr Dreamville like that that's how I see it um so it's so I I, I know exactly what you're uh, referencing that that energy that like excitement yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing that I'm, I'm good at, too. And I, I'm definitely good at the management side of, of things. Um, but it's just like it came to a point where I, I realized, you know, if you chase two rabbits, one of them is going to get away, mm -hmm. you know. 
Um, and I just decided which one I really wanted to do more than anything. And now I kind of do it the other way around. Now I'm like, let me sing first and then I'll do the label stuff later. I'll do the artist development stuff. And people, a lot of my friends still come to me for, you know, development things. Like a lot of my friends are just like, you should just quit music. And then I'm like, you know, no, that's not happening. Right. Quit music and join the team. Manage me. No. <laughs> no. And, and, and I agree you shouldn't. And um, so because... First of all, I mean, I, I have to tell you, like, the song Illegal that you put out, it's so politically relevant and it's so deep and honest that I have not heard anything like that, like, ever. So so I'd, lo I'd love to ask you um, where the idea for it came from. Um, from a lot of different places. Um, and it was... I feel like it wasn't at, well, hmm, it, it was always relevant. I think, it, okay, so number one, I had really delved into this thing where I was studying a lot of female artists um, because at the time, the project that I was doing, I was trying to um, uh, pay homage to a lot of women in the industry. And um, I had watched the Nina Simone documentary, which I think has moved me a lot more than than most and i just remember her saying you know artists are a reflection of the time mm. um if not what's the point you know right. and um, i had thought about all the other songs that i did too and i liked them and stuff but i was just like there's this major thing that's going on with me that's affecting all of my decision it's affecting who and how i date <laughs> you know it's affecting um whether or not i leave my job whether or not i stay at my job it, it affects what times I drive during the day, you know, um, just so, so much in my life. And at the same time, I had to um, combine, I was combining it with the experience of being um, a woman of color mm -hmm. um, at a time, you know, at, at, in, the, in the middle of the, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, mm -hmm. the spawning of that. And it was kind of like, I was speaking out about all of these issues and because they were really bothering me as a woman of color, as a woman of color who has brothers who are black, who has, you know, had boyfriends who are black, like, you know, um, black and brown. Um, and it just felt, and I, I would do these things and then people would be like, oh, you're not really, you're an immigrant. And I was like, but I'm still black. <laughs> you know, it still affects me. I'm still a person of color. And it was just kind of like, I had to find a way. And, and then I went to the Charlotte protests because it was close to home and I didn't want to be a person who talked the talk mm -hmm. and talked the walk. And I was there real, realizing, you know, my predicament, which was very like, oh my goodness, like, you know, I'm out here protesting. I don't even have legal rights mm -hmm. <laughs> as, as, as an undocumented person, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I felt like there needed to be a voice for, for people like that, you know, who are, um, of, who live in this country, who basically recognize this country as home, um, but who are and, and who are equally um, affected by its ills as much as they might be benefiting, you know, trying to make a better life for themselves. Mm. Um, and that should be allowed. You know what I mean? Just yeah. as a it's, as a human being, I feel like you need to have the the right to speak out against injustices against human beings. Period. Mm. So it, it 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 all kind of came from that, and just being a woman and feeling like. You know, as a woman, sometimes we're left out of, of this conversation. Mm -hmm. And, in, you know, in what ways? Well, even being a woman of color in the workplace, you know, 
people being concerned about you being too aggressive right. or, or for Latino women being too spicy, you know, quote unquote, whatever that means, mm-hmm. you know, um, it was just like, it was a lot, th- those were parts that people weren't addressing and the times where I felt like I've had to hold my tongue in, you know, a business meeting or whatever, because if I say anything, um, I'm going to be perceived as having an attitude mm-hmm. when, you know, somebody could say the exact same thing and it, it's fine. You know, they're just assertive people or people just kind of microaggressions, like, you know, picking at, um, you know, my hair or making, you know, little, little, little comments. Like I had this coworker who would like call me homegirl all the time. Right, right. Why? <laughs> like, why am I your homegirl? And why don't you call any of the other women in here homegirl? You know, just little things that they don't realize kind of um, uh, um, minimize the way that other people in the workplace see you, things like that. that and if I were to correct that, I would seem like I was out of line. Right. So it was just all of those experiences happening at once. And it was, you know, part of why I wanted to leave my job on top of just wanting to chase my dream. It was just feeling like I was in a community where I didn't see people of color at all. And I was in that, you know, your job is a place where you spend a lot of time. I was mm-hmm. spending 40 hours there every day and I didn't ever see people of color. So there was nobody ever to relate to or to, you know, have honest conversation with who came from the same perspective that I was coming from. And I was just frustrated with all those things. And I felt like I needed to be a reflection for that because I I wasn't the only person. And then there was also this misconception of um, undocumented, you know, meaning uh, being a Latino person, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of like you can be undocumented from a lot of countries, you Mm -hmm. know, um, they're just targeting Latino people. Right. <laughs> and so I felt, I feel like the line, um, I just quit my job, still undocumented. So I run it from the yard, um, mm-hmm. just encompasses it's from every, the, from the law. sorry, it's running from the law. Oh, running from the law. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, can you just, uh, kind of delve into what that specific line, um, yeah. Um, because when I wrote it, I was still undocumented and, um, and so it just felt like even as a, a, a as a black person, I'm running from the law. As an undocumented person, I have to duck, you know, run from the law. Like I I, I get uncomfortable in any in any situation. The idea of the the law being present is kind of like, you know, it's 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 almost like a life risk, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that's just kind of where it was coming from. I'm like, okay, I'm at this point. Um, I quit my job. And I'm still undocumented right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't necessarily found the solution to that, whatever. And, you know, and I'm, so I'm avoiding anything that might uproot my life and, and change it. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, so we have uh, about 10 minutes left. Um, okay. Want to ask you, uh, do you consider yourself to be an activist? And if not, do you, is it, um, do you feel that there is space within like the immigration movement for yourself? Do I consider myself an activist? I think that I, um, I don't think that I consider myself an activist Mm -hmm. because I think that an activist and, and I could be wrong, that these are just the reasons I don't consider myself one. I think that um, you have to, I believe it, like dedicating your entire life to a cause, mm-hmm. you know? And for me, um, I don't, I don't, I, I don't feel like I've, I deserve that yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I have work to do before I can 
I can be seen that way. Sure. Um, and so I think that it's, it's more that, but I definitely want to be a person who speaks out, um, about injustices against everyone, you know, mm. um, I want to be just because I've, even myself, I've been victimized by in, in different capacities, whether it's through my father or myself as a, you know, just a person, I, I, I feel the responsibility of leaving the world a better place, you know, mm. that, um, and making an impact that way. And that means doing, you know, and, um, so if somebody considers that an activist, I guess. Sure. No. And, you know, I mean, I definitely believe that, you know, an activist doesn't have to be uh, strictly defined, you know, it can really be people contributing in their own ways. Um, and that's why I was also asking, um, you know, do you feel like, I don't know, like, like, have you ever felt the wanting to be connected to the immigration movement? Have you felt that there it has been a space for yourself and for your uh, work there? Um, I mean, wanted to be. I, I, I guess so. I mean, that I guess the way I look at it is if I can, if I can help other people through that that process, absolutely, because it's horrible. It's horrible to live in Detroit that way. So, um, so I would say, yeah, but I do believe that I can do more work and accomplish more for that movement and others, um, by, by staying the path on the music, because I feel that for some reason, and it's another part of me, my personal mission, my goal, my what my motivation. There's just something about um, like a musical icon. There's something about the way that music connects people in the world sure. um, who have different opinions and you know different basis of you know um, perspectives. It's just everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if I can if I can stay the path in that capacity. I can I can change the world with you know my words, great. Um, and so I'm kind of like I I would want to be as successful as I can, you know, as a musician in, in what I'm doing, and then uh, uh, open the doors that way, way more than necessarily you know, uh, um, you know, becoming a paralegal or or or, or whatever it is that you know that, that it might call for, just because I feel like everybody can have their role within. Uh, um, achieving something mm-hmm. you know totally yeah and you know I, I definitely appreciate that because I think like you know folks have their own capacity as to like what they're able to contribute they have their own avenues and um, you know I definitely think like with your music you're making a big impact um, mm-hmm. so in these last few minutes um want to ask uh, well I do want to say yeah what's up that's not to say that all of my songs are going to be political because they're definitely not the next ones are definitely not but it's just, you know, when you can touch people and they can relate to you on different aspects, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I can step out of the box for a second and talk about immigration or whatever, you know, no matter what it is that I talk about in my song, because I go everywhere. I talk about everything, love about everything. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I guess in your downtime, um, how do you, uh, you know, perform self-care? Uh, what techniques do you have? Ooh, um, self-care. Um, I have a new thing where I like to watch good 
uh, television with people of color. Mm-hmm. That makes me happy because it lets me know uh, uh, things are changing a little bit. <laughs> what, are, what are your favorite shows that you like to uh, watch right oh, now? Oh, my goodness. How to Get Away with Murder, mm-hmm. uh, Insecure right now. Um, what are more things that power? I love power. Right. Um, other shows, other shows. I was kind of big on Scandal for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are like the like the major ones. Oh, you know what? I'm not even gonna lie. I'm actually a super huge fan of the love and hip hop things. Right, right. And everybody's just like it's so ignorant, and I was just like, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, if you, that's just some people's reality, right. you know. Like, I like to li- watch people live in what is their reality, even if it's not mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm the, I like that. Um, I like to read. Um, reading is actually what helps me write songs because I can just kind of do you know pictures in my head a little bit more. So mm-hmm. I'll be a reader. Um, the biggest thing I think is just spending time with people that I love. That's mm-hmm. the biggest form of self care for me. I think and there's no feeling greater than reconnecting with an old friend or you know seeing family that I haven't seen in a long time and getting to spend you know quality time together. I'm, I love board games. Oh my goodness, I yeah. love taboo. Taboo cards, any type of card game, like, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Scrabble, I love Scrabble. I'm super competitive. So it's like, and I'm an Aries too, so I'm very, like, boisterous about it. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, my sister's an Aries, but so I could definitely see what um, what you're talking about. <laughs> so she's off. That's what that means. <laughs> <sighs> my little sister. Um, <laughs> so, uh, okay. So last question that I have, and thank you for sharing all that, you know, very appreciative. And I think it's important to celebrate those things, um, even in like tough times. So definitely appreciate that. Um, so last question I always end up off with is for folks that are continuing to go through very difficult situations and need some words of encouragement or inspiration, what words would you send to them right now? I would say, um, Do your best to try to eliminate fear and own up um, own up to your decisions and don't be afraid to do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid or don't be embarrassed mm-hmm. to do what you have to do. Great. Well, thank you uh, for sharing that with us. Um, I, I think that in this interview, you know, we went about 35 minutes and I'm sure we've only scratched the surface as to, <laughs> yeah. as to the whole story, but we have to start somewhere. Um, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So I'm very happy that uh, we've connected. I'm very happy that we've built this friendship yeah. over social media and that you decided to be a part of this. And I know that many folks are going to watch this. They're going to be so inspired. They're going to be so happy to get to know you as I am. And, um, you know, I hope that in the future uh, we'll be able to collaborate some more and do something special sure. together. I'm, I'm always open to that. I love I, I love to be active and I like, you know, like projects. I have a short attention span. So when people bring me new things, like I'm always down because I'm probably ready to get my mind off something else. So <laughs> That's great. Um, well, I just want to say thank you again. Very inspirational and I'm very happy. Um, no problem. Um, music too. I really, you know, I can't tell you that goes straight to my heart. <laughs> of, of course.